uh, add a little bit to that. We're going to do that series five weeks in January. That's leading up to our focus dinner. Can we get the lights on? Is that all right? Um, and so every year we have what we call our focus dinner. We've done it from the very start. And we go over the things that are going on in the church, what has happened in January. And then we, we lead up to our this year and praying for our church. So the series is meant to just engage us in kind of what's going on in life, which there's a lot going on. Would you say that? In fact, uh, when we sang that song, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, you like that song? My wife, when we got married, came down the aisle to that song. And so it's just, it's just a reminder again, we're going to be going down the aisle in a sense. God is going to be faithful. He's going to see us through everything that's going on. And we are going to be, have this marriage, Supper of the Lamb. That's for us as believers. And it's only us as believers that can look forward to that without knowing the Lord. So this morning, I just wanted to do a little John chapter 1, 1 through 18, and talk about Jesus, the life, the light, and the glory. Simple one-off message because as we're going into the new year, and as we've come out of the old year, no, we're not out of it yet, are we? Um, what has really been, been striking me, I think I need to back a little bit, is that uh, God became a man. I know we know that. that, we, hear that. We, we know that as believers all the time, that God incarnate, that God, the eternal, infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing God, actually became a human being in, in total. And that has been just such a, uh, a focus. The Holy Spirit, I think, has brought to my heart because it's a mind blower. Don't you like getting your mind blown? That's what God does all the time. He just blows our minds. And who would have ever considered that? In fact, I want to talk a little bit, get into a little bit philosophy, which I'm, no, I'm a novice at philosophy, but I want to talk a little bit from this passage on the word, the logos. So John chapter 1, I'm going to read some of the verses up through 18. In the beginning was, would you, you're here, why don't we just continue just to stand in honoring God's word? If you're home, if you want to stand with us, you can, but we'll never know if you do or don't. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, actually the heart of God, He has declared Him. So, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this magnificent truth that You so love the world that You gave Your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We stand before you complete in Christ as believers. We're thankful for these truths. We're thankful, Lord, that you are God and, and we get to worship you, 
by knowing you, walking with you, obeying you, and giving our lives to you for your purposes for which you created us and brought us into this world. So I pray you bless these thoughts of mine this morning. Break them fresh. Feed us. We're hungry. We're looking to you who is the author and finisher of our faith and that you will complete the work that you have started and one day we will be in your presence for all eternity. We're thankful for that. We rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So you know the scripture of John 3.16, where God so loved, it's very well known, where God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's a few 3.16 verses. I want to point to another one that's found in 1 Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. So this morning, again, I'd just like to consider this incredible thing called the incarnation, where God became a man, the Son of God became fully human for our salvation. Now, I don't know how many of you know this. I used to watch this show called the FBI. Anybody know that one? Ephraim Zimblis Jr. How could you forget that name? And that, that show, every show would start with a prologue. So there'd be this segment laying out the case they were seeking to solve. Then the show would be broken into Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. Remember this? And then they would always end up with an epilogue sort of wrapping things up. I think that John the Apostle would have really liked that show. Because that's how his, his book is, this gospel that he's written. So you have in, in, in chapters 2 through 12, seven signs and seven discourses to prove his claims about Jesus. So he begins with this prologue that we just read. Then Act 1 is chapters 2 through 12. Act 2 is chapters 13 through 17, which is the, this, this sitting with John in the intimacy of the upper room. And hearing into what was going on in that room. Where Jesus that night would be betrayed by one of his disciples. That whole scene there. And then in Act 3 is chapters 18 through 20. Where G we see there John standing at the crucifixion of Christ. And beholding that whole scene. He ends in chapter 21 then with an epilogue. Now, I want to segue a little bit into, into this area of our nation. We're going to, uh, this is not where I'm going to focus, but I want to share something with you because this past year, as we're going into the new year, we continue to be praying for our nation. Now, in a book called, Peter Marshall's book called The Light and the Glory, did God have a plan for America? Question mark. He wrote it in 1997. On the back cover of America, America, God, we have this, America, America, God shed his grace on thee. So on the back cover, did Columbus believe that God called him west to, undis to undiscovered lands? Does America's democracy owe its inception to the handful of pilgrims that settled Plymouth? If indeed there was a specific divine call upon this nation, is it still valid today? The light and the glory answers these questions and many, many more. As we look at our nation's history from God's point of view we begin to have an idea of how much we owe a very few people. So however great America's prologue was, America's epilogue is about to be written. I believe that. And we're praying along these lines. 
And unless there is a genuine turning around in repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, it seems to me the epilogue will be an epitaph of our to- on our nation's tombstone. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. So we're praying for our nation. Why is it that that's happened? It's very simple. As unsettling as it is also, America no longer finds its light and life in the glory of Jesus Christ. And so in these areas of our culture, we have systematically put out the light and glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in our homes. We put out that light in the halls of our education and institutional institutions. And here's the Here's the one we've seen more or more lately. We've also revised God's presence right out of our history. And so no nation, even one chosen especially by God and gifted to the world as to be a blessing from God, a nation cannot survive that. And so we're praying. But here's my point. What is true of a nation how much more true is that of an individual? Because individuals make nations. And so what is true of a nation is also true of every person. The light and glory of life is only given in knowing the way, the truth, and the life. These are simple truths this morning, but I want to just soak in them again. That's where life is found. That's where the light is given. That's where the glory is experienced. It's through Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who said, no one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus. Don't you love focusing on Jesus? I'm loving that more and more and more. It's Jesus. It's all him. That's not an overstatement. It's him. So John leaves no question as to why he wrote his gospel. In John chapter 20, we read this. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Now, Thomas was one who said, I'm not going to believe unless I see him and touch him and put my hands in his, in his side and, and into the holes, my fingers into his hands. So Jesus, he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. This is Jesus appearing to the disciples again. And put it, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, what? My Lord and my God. One of the greatest verses as far as declaring who is Jesus. He is the Son of God. My Lord. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now notice what John goes on to say. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe, what? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you have life in his name. Are you not thankful for the Holy Spirit drawing you to Jesus Christ and experience the light, the life, and the glory? That's what happened in our salvation. That's what happened as we heard the gospel. God began to manifest his glory to us, his truth, and began giving us light and life by which we live in dark times. So John testifies as eyewitness of Jesus' death on the cross. We read in John chapter 19, the soldiers came, And broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. Verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. 
But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And here's John. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Again, another scripture, they shall look on him whom they pierced. I mean, God laid it all out prophetically for us to put our faith in Christ. In John chapter 21, he closes with this testimony. This is the disciple, John, who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony are true, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, this is wonderful, if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Would you say amen to that? Of course. The Son of God, God incarnate. How can you exhaust the writings of that. And so, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word is the Logos. Now, many of you have heard that before. Maybe all of us here have. You've, you've heard that thing, the Logos. Logos in the Greek means to lay by, to collect, to put words side by side. It means to speak. It means to express. It means, it can even mean an opinion. So it's thoughts being put into words in that sense. So it's a common word for reason as well as speech. Applied to Christ six times, four times here, and then in 1 John, he says concerning the word of life, Revelation chapter 19, he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called what? The word of God. So six times it was applied to Jesus. The Logos to John the Apostle. I don't know if you've heard this before, but these, these things are re-upped for me again when I'm considering the incarnation. And why did John use the word Logos? I want to give you a little thoughts here to, to just meditate on. The word to John the Apostle. As a child, he grew up waiting for the Messiah. He was in a Jewish family. As a young man, he walked with Jesus, the Messiah. Can you... Can you dig that? I mean, he wait, they were waiting, but here he is, a young man. He began to walk with Jesus. He was banished to the island of Patmos. He was, of all the disciples, he died last. When he was probably about 95, he was banished to the island of Patmos where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, which we just got done studying midweek. And as one whom Jesus loved, listen, he writes this five times. The disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. The disciple, I think we need to take that and say that, Kevin, the disciple whom Jesus loves. The Kevin, I mean, John just, just rested in that love. He loved it. He, Jesus loved him. At the up, upper room, he laid his, his head on his breast and said, Lord, who is it? I mean, he had an intimacy with Jesus that he cherished. And not just that, he wanted other people to know Jesus. That's the motivation behind the whole of what he's doing. So many a Greek had never seen the Messiah. They didn't know much about that. They hadn't heard of that, rather. So the problem was, how do I communicate, John the Apostle, how do I communicate to the Greek mind the, law, the, the, the word of God, Jesus, who he is, the incarnate son of God? So he found a key in this logos. So if you don't mind, again, I'm, I'm a novice, but I want to share just some things that have sparked me again in just meditating on the fact that God is human. God became human. So to the Jews, they would say words have power. So they change things. They do things to people. 
This is what they would say, quote, the spoken word to the Hebrew was fearfully alive. It was a unit of energy charged with power. They would say, it flies like a bullet to its billet or to its logic. So when you say something, words have power. Words change things. That was their mindset on words. So the Hebrew language, get this, the Hebrew language has 10,000 words. The Greek language has 200,000. So they could be much more expressive in how they were communicating. This is, this is, I like this poem. Words cannot be recalled. Boys flying, boys flying kites haul in their white-winged birds. You can't do that way when you're flying words. Careful with fire is good advice we know. Careful with words is ten times doubly so. Thoughts unexpressed may sometimes fall back dead, but God himself can't kill them when they're said. James put it this way, be quick to, to listen, slow to speak. And we know that words have, can have impact. Sticks and stones may break my, how's that go? That's opposite that. Bring on the sticks. <laughs> so the word goes out, it begins to act, and it changes things. So that's why God in creation, God what? Said. And his words, through his word, he created things. Psalm 33, 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Psalm 107. He sent his word and healed them. This is the Jewish mind again. Psalm 55, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. Jeremiah, is not my word like a fire? And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? So that's the Jewish mind. The word memra in Hebrew. In the synagogues, the scriptures were read in the original Hebrew, but then they had to be translated into Aramaic at this time. Because it had been 100 years since that language was used. So the word became this reverent sort of idea equivalent to God himself. The whole idea of the word, the memra. Now, to the Greeks, you have the logos to the Greeks. Heraclitus, anyone know, ever heard of Heraclitus? He's a philosopher. You haven't heard of him? Oh, good, I'm not the only one. His basic idea was that everything is in a state of flux. Now, just, just stay with me here. Everything's in a state of flux. Now, when you look at the world today, is it not like that? We're going to be doing a whole study on, you know, lessons in the wild. And so, to the, his basic idea, this, this philosopher, Heraclitus, he said everything was changing from day to day and from moment to moment. His famous illustration was that it was impossible to step into the same river twice. Because you step in and you step out, you put your right foot in, you take your, <laughs> and then you step again. You're not stepping in the same river because it's flowing. Things are changing. So it's always a different river. But if, if that be so, why was life not complete chaos? Why wasn't things just like crazy? How can there be any sense in a world where there was a constant flux and change? The answer of Heraclitus was all this change and flux was not haphazard. It was controlled and ordered, following a continuous pattern all the time, and that which controlled the pattern was the logos, the word, the re what he would call the reason of God. So to Heraclitus, the logos was the principle of order under which the universe continued to exist. This is philosophy. 
Heraclitus went further. He held that not only was there a pattern in the physical world, there was also a pattern in the world of events. He held that nothing moved with aimless feet. In all life, and all events, all of life, there was a purpose, a plan, and a design. And what was that that controlled the events? Once again, the answer was the Logos. Heraclitus took the matter even nearer home. What was it that, that, what was it that in us individually told us the difference between right and wrong? What was that? What, what, how does that work? What made us able to think and to reason? What is that? What enabled us to choose right and to recognize the truth when we saw it? Once again, he gave the same answer. What gave a man reason and knowledge of the truth and the ability to judge between right and wrong was the logos of God dwelling within him. He held that in the world of nature and events, all things happen according to the logos. That in the individual man, the logos is the judge of truth. Logos was nothing less than the mind of God controlling the world and every man in it. Once the Greeks had discovered this, they never let it go. That was their idea of God. So then you have Plato and the Stoic philosophers, which you find in Acts chapter 17. They were always left in wondering amazement of the order in the world. Same thing. Others always implied, these philosophers always implied a mind, how they were describing. Their answer to this was the same. The logos is the power which makes the world in order instead of chaos. The power which sets the world going and keeps it going in perfect order. The Stoics said the logos pervades all things. So then this guy Philo comes along, a Jewish man who lived in Alexandria, Egypt from B.C. 20 to A.D. 40 when Jesus walked the earth. He never came into contact with Christ or the apostles. This Jewish divine sought to harmonize the religion of Moses with the philosophy of Plato. He made it a business of his life to study the wisdom of the two worlds, Jewish and Greek. It was said of him, quote, no man ever knew the Jewish scriptures as he knew them, and no Jew ever knew the greatness of Greek thought as he knew it, unquote. So you have this guy who's trying to bring these things together. He too knew and used the love to love this idea of the logos, the word, the reason of God. Now here, a, a quote. He held that the logos was the oldest thing in the world, and the instrument through which God had made the world. He said the Logos was the thought of God stamped upon the universe. He said that God, the pilot of the universe, held the Logos as a tiller and with it steered all things. He said that man's mind was stamped also with the Logos, that Logos was what gave man reason, the power to think and the power to know. He said the Logos was the priest who set the soul before God. So he deduced a doctrine of the Logos so striking that, like that of, of John's gospel, that many exp expositors think it necessary to impute to the apostle an acquaintance with the writings or at least with the terminology of, of Philo. But he, I'm saying all that to set a little bit of a stage for this statement. The big difference was they never, ever imagined an incarnation. They ne never crossed their minds that God would actually become human. That God would come and speak to us and communicate to us himself personally as a human being. And that's what John, wanted, the, the whole gospel is about. God manifests in the flesh. This is so absolutely incredible. You can't hardly communicate it. How do you talk about that? What do you say about that? I say, hallelujah.
praise God, worship God. To me, that's what it should immediately, because God himself showed up. God arrived. And so John is right, in the beginning was the word, which was the life. The life of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The word was the eternal life of God manifested in human flesh. Existing eternally with God. He also, as the son of God, experienced perfect fellowship with God. No one has seen God at any time. The begotten son, he has revealed him. Jesus said he was with the father from the beginning. The Godhead. This, this experiencing perfect fellowship with the father. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. No one has seen God at any time. He is exactly God. He's exactly God. And so we read in Hebrews, who being the brightness of his glory, Hebrews chapter 1, 3, and the express image of his person, Jesus. Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, Jesus. John chapter 14, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, Philip, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's a dramatic statement. He who has seen me has seen God. They've seen, you've seen the Father, the perfect expression of God himself in human form, saying, I am God, the creator God. He's the giver of life. All things were made through him. Nothing was made without him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. He was in the world. The world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So look around you. Everything is created by Jesus. He is the creator of all things. He is the giver of life, and he is the one who life was given for us. God incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Father, who is in the bosom. He is the heart of God. God took His heart and bared it for you and for me. In Him was life, life in His eternal life. He came to give His life. So here's the deal. You can't give that which you do not have. The only one who can give us eternal life is the eternal God. He did that through Christ. John, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, John 10. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. That to me is a pretty good assurance. John 17, Jesus praying to his father. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the word is life. The word is light for us. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What does light do? It guides. It directs. It illuminates. It reveals. Jesus in John 8, 12 said, spoke to him and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John chapter 12, Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Wait, 
Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Jesus is the light. He's the one that directs. He's the one that illuminates. He's the one that reveals to us all these truths as God himself for us to live life, to live in the light. The world over is looking for these things. Guidance. Direction. How much more even today in our chaotic nation. The world is looking for illumination. The Lord is looking for revelation. Who are we pointing them to? What are we pointing them to? To Jesus. And that's not simplistic. That's the truth. He is the light of the world. He came that men might know what life actually was intended to be by God. Life is not just physical existence. Life is spiritual in its essence. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. When we worship God, we're not worshiping some idol. We're not looking at, we're putting our eyes, fixing our eyes on the eternal God, manifested through his son. And through him, we now can worship him who is eternal, who is invisible, who is with us. And we believe that, know that, and experience it. What a way to go into a new year that we don't know what's going to happen. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. The light of the life of Jesus shines in the darkness. It shines. And like we've said so many times, this, this last year feels like 10 years. There's been so much darkness, it seems, invading every area. And we have Jesus with us. We can turn to him and we can worship God. We can walk with God. We can know God. We can have light. We can have revelation. We can have direction. We can have guidance. You see, darkness denotes death in the Bible. It, it denotes ignorance. Listen, God has given to us by his Holy Spirit the light of the world to see actually how he sees things and to walk in those things. A huge area. We've talked about it many times. When there's darkness, there is naturally fear. You can't see. There's monsters in the closet, if you will. We have been given light, and we can see in the darkness because we see God. Faith doesn't see less. Faith sees more because faith in Christ sees God. Light illumines darkness, exposes flaws, flaws and all those kinds of things. The problem was not having the light. The problem is hating the light. Jesus pointed that out. He came to give light to every man that comes into the world. But men, sinners, don't want to see that. You know, no surgeon does surgery in the darkness. Right? I mean, that would be crazy. They have light. They're going to operate in the light. We get to operate in the light. God gets to operate on our lives, if you will, in the light of who he is. And so we have the word of God. And as God is doing the work in our lives, we have this incredible thing that happens through very difficult things. He heals us. He heals us. Hebrews talks about it. Do not despise the chaste Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For every son whom he receives, he scourges everyone. There's a painfulness about relationship with God for our healing his purpose is to heal us. 
to operate, if you will, on our lives. And so the light of the life of Jesus had a witness sent. John the Baptist came, pointed people to Jesus, and we need to point people to Jesus in our lives and pointing them to him. The light of the life of Jesus was a true light. The light was in the world. And now as we looked at on Friday night at our Christmas candlelight service, we have that light. We've been given light to be lights to the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. That means the cosmos, which means the continuous existence of this orderly universe, the world, and human society in disobedience to God is what the Bible's pointing to as the world. We who know him get to point people to the light of Jesus. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. That's a sad statement. His own who should have known rejected him. God in his grace offers this to us through Christ and through the Jewish nation. You know, Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. When George Bailey had his wish granted to him that he had never been born, he would meet people he knew, but they didn't know him. How many has not seen The Wonderful Life? He realized just how much his life had meant for so many. Arnie the cop. Remember Arnie? The druggist. Bailey Park, his wife. And so he finally breaks down and says, I want to live. I want to live. So one thing I think that's good to do is as we think this whole idea of God coming in a babe and coming into the world is to ask ourselves, what do you think the world would be like if he never came? If he was never born. Thank God we don't have to think about that very long. Because if he had never come, this world would have perished a long time ago. But God sent him to the Jews as a Jewish man to fulfill the promise to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then through the Jewish nation to bring him for our salvation. Jews and Greeks. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who, what? Believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, that sounds like saying you had nothing to do with it. Well, we had something to do with it. We repented. We came to God. We came to the light. We came to the life. And God granted to us forgiveness of our sins. See, you cannot be born again physically. You can't be get back in your mother's womb. That's what Nicodemus said. What do I do? How does this work? You will not be born of God volitionally. Like deciding in a new year, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live like a Christian. One of the most difficult things, futile things to do is try and live the Christian life without Jesus. We must be born again. And the Spirit of God in us is what enables us to walk as he walked. Uh, if, you want, if you say, well, I'm, I'm not a believer. I don't want to believe in all that. But I'm going I'm to live like a Christian. You can do that. You might pull it off for a while. But you don't have the life or the light to sustain that eternally. Only Jesus does that. So the Mormons will tell you to trust that Bernie in your bosom. I like what uh, Pastor Chuck's son, Chuck Jr., said. He said, how do you know you don't have gas? See, there's only one person 
who can give life, who can give light. <laughs> you buy that one again. Right? You with me? It's only one. It's just Jesus. So the focus of the whole year coming up, we want to bring it again back to Jesus. He is the light. He is the life. Demonstrated when he went to the cross, died for us, lived a perfect life, then went to the cross and rose again. You must be born again spiritually. So this is an evangelistic message, if you will, to, to anyone here or anyone watching or anyone who hears it later. You need Jesus. If you're going to know the light, the life, and the glory of God, you need Jesus. If we're going to continue in experiencing that and knowing that, we need Jesus, fresh and alive on a daily basis, the Son of God incarnate for us. You must be born again spiritually. And I trust you who are here today have been born again by the Spirit of God. I trust that those who are watching, many have been born again by the Spirit of God. But as we come into this new, new year, anyone who doesn't, we're praying that you will. Amen? We have loved ones. We have friends. Listen, it's not complicated. And you know this, and I know this. But the devil and the world wants to complicate it. Wants to, you know, let's talk about philosophy. Let's talk about all these things like I just did. We can talk about all those things. But it comes back to this understanding that God himself became a human being. You know, that we might know him and walk with him and know eternal life and know light and know life and know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And to me, another area, this, this whole thing of God becoming, but also this whole thing of worship. It should bring us to a place where we worship God no matter what's going on, no matter how we feel. He is worthy. He changes not. And if we can just put ourselves in that place of worshiping God, how the lights go on. The life begins to well up. And the glory of God before him in worship, you are worthy. Eyes fixed on Jesus. Running the race with joy, having fixed our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews, who for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross, despising his shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God. That's what Hebrews tells us. Jesus is wanting to work in our lives in a very special, new, fresh way every day. We've got to get our eyes on him and believe him, just as we did when we first came to Christ. So God is love. And in his love, he does not want to punish you for sin. This is to the unbeliever listening this morning. We're praying. God is love. He does not want to punish you for your sins, in your sin. But as a just God, he must punish sin. He can't just say, well, that's okay. There must be a penalty paid by, for sin because he's a just God. He solved this problem in the person of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, the Word who is the heart of God. Jesus came into this world, manifested God, and who is he? He is the perfect God-man. What did he do? He died on the cross, rose again the third day, that you might know and have assurance. What is the witness? That God has given us his Son, and in his Son is life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple, that profound, but that assured. So, in Romans it says in closing, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the, with, the, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. In other words, I know, you know, something's not right with God between you and God. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made. So in other words, it's a declaration. It's saying, I believe that. I agree with that. I want it, I want it for myself. I want to know Christ. For the, there's no distinction. God doesn't say, oh, Jew or Greek. There's no distinction. Philosophically, whatever, there's no distinction. Jesus came and died on a cross. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So, respond to God. Unbeliever this morning. We as believers respond to God in Jesus Christ. Amen.